This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Haven't had a chance to talk to him this year. I mean, this year's only been a couple days old, but, you know, we're delighted to be able to start the year with our friend Ryan Blackburn, uh, NBA Blackburn on social, the uh, host of uh, of the Pickaxe Roll podcast, Mile High Sports, the Alley Oop as well. Uh, multiple podcasts, our lead writer for the Nuggets here at Mile High Sports. Uh, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Uh, this game for the Nuggets, I think, is interesting only because you're starting to look at, at a Western Conference in which the contenders might not be the traditional ones the teams expect, folks expected them to be only a handful of months ago when the season began. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, as it stands, 16 and 17, they are out of the, the playoffs, out even of the play-in tournament as it stands. They only have five wins this season. If Steph Curry doesn't score 30, this was considered one of the teams that might have a chance to unseat the Nuggets. But now it is the uh, Northwest Division, yes, that still exists, that seems to rule the Western Conference roost. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it, as always. And, yeah, it's it's an interesting sort of moment here for the the Northwest Division. <laughs> I, I remember back to the early Durant days in OKC where Denver and OKC and like the 2012-13 season yep. was back when they, that was the last time that I remember, oh, yeah, there's real power here in the Northwest Division. Uh, since then, it's been it's been pretty barren, but now, now you it's see coming Minnesota, back. OKC, it's yep. been a lot of fun to see those teams really grow. Uh, OKC in particular is just a very interesting and fun team, and obviously yeah. Nuggets fans very familiar with the Minnesota Timberwolves and everything that Tim Connolly has built over there. So it's interesting to track, but – I do agree. The Pacific Division, it seems like it's past its time. It's interesting to me uh, because uh, you can go back. I I think by now we're far enough into the season to do this. Uh, This is the best start the Nuggets have had, uh, even better than last year, over the first 35 games in the Mike Malone era. Uh, They've had other starts that have been as good in uh, 2020 19, 20, 20, they were 24 and 11. The year before, they were 24 and 11. And yet, people keep looking at the Nuggets and they see third place and they say, well, there's got to be another gear that they need to find here. And I'm wondering exactly why that is. And in looking at the game tonight, in the Malone era, the Nuggets, in the regular season anyway, have a winning record against the Golden State Warriors who have won three of their four championships during the Malone era. Of course, the Nuggets won a championship last year, but the Nuggets are 15 and 14 against Golden State over parts of the last nine years. They've won five straight against Golden State and eight of the last nine. Now, this is regular season, not including the five-game playoff series of 2022, but at the same time, I look at the Nuggets against teams that are average or worse right now in the NBA, and it's a strong NBA this year. 17 of the 30 teams have winning records. 16 of the 30 teams have more road wins than home losses. Strong NBA. The Nuggets are 17-3 and against teams with as many 
road wins as home losses or fewer road wins than home losses. 17-3, and and yes, Golden State's one of those teams. No, they most certainly are, and I'll, I'll give you an even better one here, just looking it up now as we're talking. Uh, Denver's 16-0 and versus below 500 teams. Yeah. 16-0. and Yeah. Which, that's, Including I mean, the Warriors, whom they've already beaten twice. Absolutely, and and sure, they, they are not at the uh, – I don't think that they are at the level against the plus 500 teams that you would want them to be at for – Not quite. Competing for a not quite. No. No, they're 7 I and 8. They're seven and eight against the teams with more road wins than home losses. That they're seven and eight, and but you know a lot of that is losing two out of three to Oklahoma City, and actually two of the three losses that they have to uh, uh, not necessarily sub five hundred teams, but teams that are in the minus category. Uh, three of those, all three of those losses are to Houston. <laughs> you know, yeah, and here's 17 is, and 0 against definitely. all the other mediocre to bad teams. Oh, for sure, very fluky. And I, when I look around the Western Conference, I'm certainly not concerned with Houston. I'm not concerned with e- even a team like the Clippers. That that was one of the other losses that. No, Denver it's, a, had. it's a three-team conference. Yeah, the, the I, top first, second, and third. Those are the three best teams. I I tend to agree with you, and, and I I think that there will be some. There will be some shift, and, and one of these teams that's underperformed will get somebody at the deadline, and everybody will go crazy. And maybe there's an upset because OKC is a young team. Minnesota, still a relatively inexperienced playoff team. So there's definitely ripe for an upset there. But I, I do think that Denver, obviously, they're the team that you trust in those moments. And they've proven it against the teams that are below them that they will take care of business. And they don't necessarily – like one of the things that I've, I've – come to realize about Denver is that they are very comfortable in their own skin. They are not trying to flex to anybody. They're not trying to prove any points to anybody. They are going to go in. They're going to take care of business. They're going to treat every game as the same game. They are not going to try to get up, especially for any particular matchup. And what that means is that it's kind of rare that they blow teams out by 40. It's rare that they extend a 10 point lead to a 20 point lead just to make a point or anything like that. So in some of these matchups, they're just not going to look as good, despite the fact that they could look better if they wanted to. And you went exactly where I, I wanted to to go, because to, to my mind, I think you hit it on the head, that, that they look like they're comfortable in their skin. And I think the majority of that comes from Michael Malone, who for many years sort of indicated, at least hinted at, or the way he played games, showed that every game in the 82 was equally important to him. They all needed to be wins. And now, as we've seen over the last few years, it continued to mature and grow as a coach. Winning the championship, I think, provided some validation for Malone to realize that keeping your foot off the gas pedal is not only an effective way to coach. When you look at the great coaches in this league that are still around, the Steve Kerrs, uh, the Greg Popoviches, this is how the great ones coach. Well, there's no doubt. There, There's no doubt in my mind that Michael Malone is absorbing all the knowledge and all the experience that those guys have. And even a guy like Eric Spolstra, who he'll never make any excuses. They'll go into every single instance and try to win the game. They're not going to stress necessarily about the results. As long as the process is good, as long as everybody's better today than they were yesterday, then I think that 
Denver's moving in the right direction. And Mike Mullen has really embodied that as well. He's mellowed out in terms of the, you have to win every single contest. You have to, like, he's not going to live or die by every single moment in the game. And if you have to play Jokic and Murray 38 to 40 minutes, you do it. And he, he's not that coach anymore. Exactly. No, there have been very, very few times over the course of the last month or so where Jokic has played above 36, 37 minutes. Like he's just not going over that mark. And I think he sees the long goal in mind. He knows how important it is that this team gets there healthy and they've already proven what they can do if they do get to that place healthy. So I, I, a lot of credit in the world goes to Michael Malone and what he has instilled into this Nuggets team. He's given them confidence and he's also given them flexibility and freedom. And they, they have the ability to be able to do whatever they decide they want to do on a given night. And he trusts his guys and is going to ride or die with them no matter what. No one would pretend that the bench play has been exceptional night in and night out so far this year. But again, Malone seems to have on most nights at least as much trust as he needs to have in the likes of Brown, Jackson, and Watson. And maybe, depending on the circumstances, uh, you'll throw in a holiday or a Jordan or a Najee, but those three guys pretty much are going to play 15 to 20 minutes in blowout games. They might play a little more than that, uh, blowout one way or the other. And as you indicate, the Nuggets don't participate in many blowouts one way or the other. They lose close. Uh, they win close most of the time. They don't blow a lot of folks out. But I think some of that is because in games where they have control, they have a 10 to 15 point lead. Malone's not going to do what he sometimes did in the past and panic if the other team scores four, five, six points in a row. He might call timeout, but he's not going to rush two or three starters back into the game either. No, he does. He does a great job, I think, of understanding the long view of this. And, and the long view, of course, involves the two young guys and really three, if you want to extend it to Julian Strother as well. Right. Um, I, I, I was mistaken in omitting him. <laughs> no, he, he's a he is an option for Denver to go to. Uh, he's not necessarily the one that I would go to in the playoffs as of yet, but Christian Brown has proven that he can be. Peyton Watson slowly proving that he can be. I'll tell you what. And, and, I, I, I'd like to, even in the games, Gordon Mess, there weren't many. I, I thought Watson did a nice job, especially the first game where he had something like 25 and 5 or 25 and 4 uh, points, rebounds, and assists. I, I thought, you know, you put him into the lineup in place of Gordon, I didn't notice that much of a difference. Yeah. And most important thing there is that he's finding a role and the team has the infrastructure in order for him to just adapt to what everybody else is doing. Uh, and he, he, his role is very simplified when playing next to Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. and guys like that. But they're also going to look for him and actively try to help him out. And this team has kind of gotten to that place where they can do that. They can both win and win in different ways that they want to and win like throughout the season and throughout the year in ways that are going to help them get better throughout. So I'm, I'm interested to see where Watson goes from here. He's the guy 
that I think can really make the difference for this team in the playoffs. Uh, I've been talking to my guy Swipa on on our show, and he is very Watson centric. He says he's the Bruce Brown replacement, and that they have a lot of stock in Peyton Watson. And I tend to agree. I'm still a little bit more tentative, still a little bit more concerned. He's still 21 years old. Uh, there's still a lot of time to prove that and figure that out, but it is going to be interesting to see where he goes and, and whether Mike Malone will actually trust him in the playoffs or not. Well, one of the other players that's interesting to see who, who and how will we trust it, there's no real wiggle room anymore, is Michael Porter Jr. We're talking with Ryan Blackburn of Mile High Sports, NBA Blackburn on social, host of the uh, Pickaxe and Roll podcast and the Alley Oop podcast. But I think we got a, an idea of the evolution of Michael Porter Jr. in real time as well, because for most of November, Jamal Murray wasn't available. Michael Porter Jr. in November averaged 19 points per game, 7.7 boards, and 1.5 assists per game. Now, in December, when Murray was mostly available, the points per game dropped from 19 to 14.3 as expected. But the rebounds only dropped from 7.7 to 7.0, and the assists from 1.5 to 1.3. And what that's showing me, along with the eye test, is that Michael Porter Jr. has understood now his ability to affect games even when he is not scoring. And that has been kind of the final piece of the puzzle, it seems, for MPJ's game. How have you seen the evolution of his game from the end of last year, in which he was mostly finding himself on the bench, to this year, where obviously the the Nuggets need him to be a closer? I won't speak for Michael Porter in, in what his actual mentality is. But from the outside in, it certainly looks like he is accepting of being a third or fourth option and what that all means for his role within the Nuggets, his role within the NBA, and that he's willing to do that, especially on this team. Uh, and you don't see that a ton. You don't see that often where guys that are that talented, that are that good, like he's not forcing up shots. And especially to come out of that AAU system in which the, the idea is basically go get yours. For sure. And there's, there's a reason for that. And, a lot of guys in this position, they would have gotten the championship and they'd be like, all right, now it's my time to, to go somewhere else and find a bigger role. And instead, I think his role has even decreased in some ways this year. He's found more opportunities to take efficient shots in the mid range, to take efficient layups, uh, getting to the rim a little bit more frequently. And it's less about the three point shot, although he's still very valuable from out there, of course but he's picking and choosing his moments even better. He's a smarter player and he affects the game. Like you said, in, in a variety of different ways. And he's one of the better defenders on the team. Now I'm not going to say he's great. I'm not going to say he's, he's amazing, but there are certain matchups where he's actually really positive and really helps the team, especially from a rebounding perspective, be the six foot 10 guy that he can't be. And, and that was always kind of the worry with him. Was he just going to float? Was he just going to be kind of uh, a scoring-centric, not necessarily super involved with the team kind of player? That hasn't been the case. He has been way better than that. It's been way more than that, and it's been really cool to see. How many free throws do you think Jokic is going to get tonight? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, He had 18 the last time against Golden State, and Steve Kerr made kind of a stink over it, although I think the point he was trying to make was a little more nuanced that the second half of that game on uh, Christmas Day uh, was, to some extent, little more than a foul shooting contest, and the first half had a better flow to it. So I, I kind of got his point. 
I don't think he was picking just at Jokic, but uh, I'd, I'd be surprised if Jokic got 18 free throws tonight, wouldn't you? Oh, I, I would certainly be surprised. <laughs> I would be surprised. So here's the actual numbers. Since that 18 for 18 game, Jokic is 3 yeah. of 3, 0 of 0, and 1 of 1 at the free throw line. And it's not like he's getting, he's not getting fouled in those situations. He is uh, being very physical. He is doing what he can, not just to get to the free throw line, but to put himself in front of the paint. And he's not really being rewarded on those tentative shots right now. So I, I, I'm going to guess five because I think (laughs) there is something to not even one third. Oh no, there's no, there's no way he's, he's getting more than that. I would be, I'd be shocked, especially on the road. He is Ryan Blackburn. Give him a follow at NBA Blackburn on social. Make sure you subscribe to the Pickaxe and Roll podcast right here on Miley Sports and the Alley Oop podcast, as well as everything he puts together at Mile High Sports, the terrific uh, rotation charts and all of the outstanding work. You mentioned the Swiper spending. You guys doing a little bit more stuff together with Swiper and putting together some really uh, interesting video content there. The best way to get all of that, grab the Mile High Sports app and all of it's right in your pocket. Ryan, always good to talk to you. Uh, enjoy the game tonight. Let's touch base soon. Thanks for having me on, fellas. Appreciate you. All right. Thanks so much, Ryan Blackburn from Mile High Sports. And and the idea of what he talked about with uh, Porter Jr.'s selectiveness in shooting, by the way, still there. Uh, Nikola Jokic, as we know, is one of the league leaders. And you go to one of the more advanced metrics in shooting efficiency, which is basically, you know, it's uh, football we use expected points added. Right. Kind of a similar one. The idea of where the shot is, how far the coverage is. Uh, Nikola Jokic is elite at a .59. Second best on the Denver Nuggets and one of the best in the league, Michael Porter Jr. at .58. So even though he is scoring less with Jamal Murray on the floor because he is the third scoring option, I think he's the right. third, not the fourth. I think that is Gordon. Oh, I think yeah. Gordon is yeah. opportunistic fourth. Uh, but what you're seeing is despite the fact that the points are going down, the efficiency, the choice of shots, the selection, it continues to improve. The ability, all that is is part of the mental game. Well, it is, and uh, the Porter game has changed uh, from the neck up. And uh, though Michael Porter wasn't a part of the Nuggets when Rick Perea worked with uh, the Denver Nuggets a few years back, um, Dr. P has made the rounds uh, here in this area, and he can help you too, even if you aren't a major professional athlete. Uh, Dr. Rick Perea is our performance psychologist who appears every Wednesday afternoon at 5.30 on Wellness Wednesdays. We get our checkup from the neck up from Dr. Perea, the former psychologist, the world champion Broncos in 2015. Shortly thereafter, he worked with the Rockies and, of course, the world champion uh, Denver Nuggets, the current world champions. Dr. P also, though, and this is important, helps middle and high school performers to reach peak levels. Whether you're an everyday performer at work, at play, or at school, call Dr. P today at 720-287-0933. That's 720-287-0933. Or look them up at Dr. P at thinkoneforyou.org. That's Dr. P at thinkone4u.org. The Denver Broncos could have a winning record, although it's going to be another season without the playoffs. They did, however, get three Pro Bowlers, not one, not two, but three, two you expected. The third, maybe not. How much does it mean for the Broncos going forward as the roster overhaul that is incoming, like the cold weather about to hit Denver and everywhere else? Uh, that's happening. 
These three guys, they're part of the solution. We'll talk about the Broncos three Pro Bowlers next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. Of course, it's your program as well. And as we take a look at the uh, Denver Broncos, there are three pro bowlers, uh, safety Justin Simmons, cornerback Patrick Stan II, and... Rookie Marvin Mims. Punt returner. Punt returner. Yep. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, they look. That's deserving. Deserving. Uh, we turned the to fumble, the fumble uh, uh, came on a kickoff return. So right, right. Doesn't affect the punt return voting. I, I suppose not. But uh, before we get to that, we do want to turn to the text. So we want to get your interaction as well. And Danny Bailey in the booth is monitoring that. Danny, what have you got? This from Broncos 60. He says, uh, I've been a Broncos fan since the first game they ever played. First time ever betting against the Broncos is this Sunday because he's angry with Sean Payton. He says he sabotaged Russell Wilson. Broncos country is picking the Las Vegas Raiders to win Sunday's game. Well, one, I mean, obviously, thanks. Well, I tell you long-term favorite. fandom because <laughs> Broncos 60, obviously, is is the name. Yeah. But uh, uh, th- that's the thing. The, the uh, it, it, Some of this isn't wrong. Did he sabotage R- Russell Wilson? Yeah. I don't think that's a secret. Well, at he certainly all. scapegoated him. I, I mean, the d- difference between I think the play scapegoating and I, sabotaging is razor thin. Uh, I I, I don't, think the play calling. I've had some text exchanges with people say, "Ah, they were tanking." Is it nobody tanks? No, they're not. Okay, tanking. Sean no, Payton's no, definitely tanking. not tanking, and Sean Payton's not tanking. He's got too big an ego for that. But did he undercut Wilson? Scapegoat him? No doubt in my mind. And if that verges on sabotage, uh, far be it, is it a for me line. to split I mean, hairs. If you're undercutting guy publicly, yeah. it makes it harder for yeah, him to run the team. You're certainly scapegoating the guy. Every yeah. time you, you lost, uh, it seemed like Wilson had a hand in it. And when you won, he had almost nothing to do with it. He was all but an innocent bystander in the mind of Sean Payton. Right. Uh, there were countless others who... Did, deserve the credit offensively and defensively. And I'm thinking how many games this year were players other than Russell Wilson winning games for the mm-hmm. Broncos offensive players other than Russell Wilson, Cortland more Sutton. valuable, maybe Cortland Sutton, but some of Cortland Sutton's success did have to do with Russell yes. Wilson and the rapport they seem to build together that, Wilson never had with Jerry Judy, and I'm not saying that's all Judy's fault or all Wilson's fault, but I did notice last week that with Jarrett Stidham at quarterback, Jerry Judy wasn't, wasn't particularly any productive either. Nope. So and, Yeah, and that's a good yeah. point because we talked about it during this run. Their run. MVP on offense is probably Quinn Miners. When Sutton's been but, making so many of those great yeah. catches, Wilson didn't really get the credit yeah. for doing, well, what, at least Sean Payton seems to really value, a lot of those great touchdown catches from Sutton were safe, Safe passes yes, by Wilson, in the sense that where they couldn't be only up. Sutton right. catches it, or it's right. incomplete, and you come back exactly and fight another right. down. Great job by Sutton to pull him in, but supposedly for those weren't Sean Payton 50, offense, 50 those balls. weren't fifty fifty balls. They no. were Suttons or nobodies. Right, and 
Uh, same with the one with the uh, the one that uh, Troutman caught late in the yes. year, where he we yeah. got his uh, backside down well, in space. I mean, Th- you, those you, things Wilson didn't get credit for. You can't ignore now six point nine yards for pass attempt isn't overwhelming. Uh, I'll grant no. you that, but twenty six touchdown passes against eight interceptions compared to last year's sixteen and eleven. I I mean that's that's pretty efficient. I mean, and I understand for, and I've said this many you don't times even have to this year, it to last for every year. metric you like, there's a metric you don't like as much. But if if you were not watching the games and simply depending on Sean Payton's postgame evaluation of what took place, you'd think Russell Wilson is fundamentally the same quarterback he was last year. If you were going by the postgame remarks of Sean Payton. Right had almost nothing to do with the wins and everything to do with the losses and even most everything to do with some of the Russell things that Wilson went wrong in year, the wins. And I look at it, I don't even have to compare to last year. Russell Wilson this year did not have a start in which he did not throw at least one touchdown, despite the fact it wasn't a, a good offensive year. Did not have a start in which he didn't have a touchdown. Every single one. I finished with 28 in the 15 games. That's nearly two a game, obviously doing the quick math. If he'd gotten two against a very bad Chargers team, which would have been about the average, he'd be sitting at 28, which would be tied for fourth in the league in touchdown passes. Where it stands, he's still in the top 10. Let's address the head of Matthew Stafford. He's ahead of Lamar Jackson. He's ahead of Jalen Hurts. Yeah, and and, and again, you watch the games, all those guys. Oh, I'm not saying those guys aren't better, but you got in this offense with this team 26 touchdown passes? Yeah. I, I understand, and and some of them were of the shorter variety. I I understand that, but twenty six and eight is still fairly impressive. I would ask Sean Payton this question, and Sean Payton was apparently paying attention or some attention last year in his work with Fox, right? Right. One would presume, yes. And I'm sure Sean Payton. In fact, knows he said that, he had difficult time taking the. TV hat off when he was busy right. shredding Nathaniel Hackett. You're right. 68 quarterbacks started games in 2022 in the NFL. 67 quarterbacks have started games or will be starting games in the NFL in 2023. If Russell Wilson were ranked last year, one through 68, he'd be in the lower half. He'd be in the lower half. This year, out of 67 starting quarterbacks, I'd ask Sean Payton, do you really think that Russell Wilson, out of 67 starting quarterbacks this year in the NFL, is outside the top 25? I'm not sure he's outside the top 20. Top even better than that, but... Um, I'm not sure he's better than that, but... if if he was one of the 25 worst quarterbacks in football last year who started yeah. games, which I think he was, this year, to me, it's virtually undeniable that he's been one of the best 25 of 67 starting quarterbacks in the NFL, and you benched him? If you remove the names, Sandy, if you remove Sean Payton and Russell Wilson, right? Just remove the names. If quarterback X is in the bottom 25, 
And then the very next year, quarterback X with coach Y, new coach, goes from the bottom 25 to the top 25. Wouldn't this normally be evidence that, wow, you guys have had some big improvement together. What are you going to do for the next phase? here's the problem. Sean Payton's ego won't allow him. This is odd. He is a fascinating case study. Uh, Our friend Dr. Priya noted as much on our podcast this week. What coach, which coach, among all the coaches currently working, head coaches in the NFL, which one has such a large ego that he can't embrace Wilson to the extent that it worked we, we turned it around improved a little. your game. We made it more efficient. We've won at least three more games than we did last year. And arguably, certainly for the first half of last year, the defense is a lot better than it was the first half of this year. Now, the second half of the season, it's flipped. The defense this year is better than one last year, the second half of the year. We won five games in a row. Right. Last year, the Broncos won five games out of 17, including one without Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach at the end of the season, which didn't mean much, but still. You've doubled last year's win total from your predecessor, who was Nathaniel Hackett. Rosberg was an interim guy. Right. You doubled the win total. Wilson has gone from 16 touchdown passes to 26, down in interceptions from 11 to 8, and four came within about, what, 20 game minutes (laughs) at the end of one game and the start of another the following week. You take credit for that. His ego is so large that he can't bring himself. I mean, I've heard of perfectionists before. I've been accused right. of being one myself. But are you that egotistical that you are completely unwilling and unable to say, we did turn it around. You, it's a thing you can we clearly take credit for. salvage your career in the sense that Maybe you're not a Hall of Famer, but you're not a joke. You're not a laughing stock. He was a laughing stock last year. He really was. But his ego is so large that nothing less than a Drew Brees-like year with 10 or 11 wins would have been sufficient for Sean Payton. And the fact that they didn't get the 10 or 11 wins is... Much more Russell Wilson's fault in Sean Payton's mind than it is Sean Payton's fault that there's any flaw in Sean Payton's coaching. Even during the one and five start, that was Russell Wilson's fault. Do you fault. think even they, more than the defense's fault? Had they had started better, had they gotten to eleven wins this year, which was clearly possible, do you think that would have changed the way? Because th- I don't think it would have changed anything. I don't know. I I, I think it might have. 
you know, it's the old story. Do you think Russell Wilson might story. still be coming back next year if they'd won a You know, the, the Broncos would have made it harder really, to move on. Really, really, really wanted to fire Mike Shanahan in 2008. But you know what? They were 8-5, and five, and if they'd won one more game, they couldn't have fired him. It might have been hard to and, move on from Russell Wilson if they'd won 11. And it would, you know, were they going to win 11 ever? No. Uh, you know, we got to take some of those wins and say they were rather fortunate. And some of the losses are games they blew. But if if you thought that the Raiders and uh, the Commanders and the Jets were behind them, New England reminded you just a couple of weeks ago that you weren't beyond losing to a lousy team on your home field in spite of your home winning streak between the 0-3 start and the loss to New England at home. But what I'm saying is you could credibly – Look at even the end of this season and say, you know, we won five in a row. We finished three and three. Uh, Yeah, the first five, six games, it was a learning period for all of us, coaches included. He doesn't have the ability to step back and say, even, and, and and everybody would have conceded the point, said, you know, you're right. You deserve five or six games to get a feel for the team you had. I would think, you, you I think people would be tripping games. over but themselves to praise Sean Payton for helping Wilson turn so around. so large that he can't do that. He's congenitally incapable of saying, you know, it took me six games to get to know the team. He can't do it. He's, oh, no, I had a feel for this team, and I turned it around. Immediately. I turned it around. Yeah. I turned it around. There was no learning curve. I turned what was an awful team into a respectable team by myself. And, yeah, the defense played pretty well, and I was pretty smart and holding on to Vance Joseph when everybody wanted to fire him after Miami. Well, but his that's ego all well and good. prevents that from happening. As long as you keep... Doing it, which and means that's why next year I'm you better do make a on leap Sunday forward. That I've never done in 44 years. Speaking of the text we just got, I'm rooting for the Raiders. Mm, Raiders, three point favorites. We'll talk more about the game tomorrow. Of course, Cody Roark will join us. But the Avalanche are in action. Big game tonight against the Dallas Stars. We'll take a look at that next on My Life Sports. To the Palm Springs, girls from brunettes down to blonde queens. These young boys don't know what a dawn mean. I'm just a bad boy, gone clean. I'm the diamond chain choker, always remain sober. Don't drink liquor and all the games over. Don't sweat the technique. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar. On Mile High Sports. Get into the abs in a moment, but delighted to tell you about our friends at the Key Real Estate Group. Uh, We've heard about them on air here before. 90% of a realtor's business comes from referrals. So uh, this is going to be my referral to you. My friends Dave and Mark, known them for years at Key Real Estate uh, Group's Colorado Luxury Home Team. We say luxury home team. Doesn't mean you have to be in the market for that. It means that's the service you're getting, whether you're buying or selling. You need someone who knows the market, knows how to ride the highs and lows. The Colorado home market's been bonkers for years, whether you're buying or selling. And David and Mark at Key Real Estate have been a privately held company. It's theirs over 25 years in the same 
offices. Stability matters. The Fed's expected to lower interest rates in 2024, so beat the competition by your new home before that buyer frenzy returns to Denver, and that means that you'll want to call our friends Dave and Mark today. The number's easy, 720-900-LIST. That's 720-900-LIST, or you can find them online at keyrealestategroup.com. You'll hear more about them uh, in the next few weeks. But, Sandy, the Avalanche take on the Dallas Stars tonight, and I think one of the big games in the NHL, the uh, Avs in Dallas for this one. The Stars uh, with 48 points behind the Avs, who lead the Central with 51, but the Stars, as well as the pursuing Winnipeg Jets, who have 50 points, the Stars have two games in hand on the Avs. So 48 points for the Stars, two games in hand. This is basically a coin toss. These are equally matched teams, and, and happening in Dallas, this is one of those games I think it's, it is important as a as a marker. You want to understand where you are as a team, but it genuinely has, when you're talking about three teams that are essentially tied and look like they're going to be tight all year, these are important games. These may matter by the end of the year. I don't know that there are any three teams in the other three divisions that are more evenly matched than the Avs, the Jets, and the Stars. Well, there the certainly are division. in points. There are not in points. I mean, it's the closest that, yeah. in all of it. But I, I even think, uh, you know, Vancouver and Vegas are close. The Kings haven't played a lot of games. Uh, but look, look at the records the last 10 games yeah. of these three top yeah. teams in the Central Division and compare them to the top three in any other division, okay? And I'll, I'll save you the trouble. They're much better in the Central. The Avs are 7-2-1. Winnipeg seven one and two, Dallas is seven two and one. Wow! So, uh, uh, you know, hell, Nashville six three and one. They can't gain any ground. Yeah, they're in fourth place. They're a playoff team, by the way. Arizona's in fifth place, also a playoff team at the present time. And Arizona's six and four in its last ten. So they, they but but those two teams can't gain ground because Dallas and Winnipeg and the Avs have all run seven out of ten games and had points in eight out of ten. Winnipeg nine out of ten. Dallas eight out of ten. Uh, you know, you, you got the other three uh, top teams in the other three divisions. Their form isn't nearly as good right now. Vancouver's hot in uh, the Pacific at 7-1-2. and two. Uh, Vegas and the Kings are slumping. Uh, Rangers are slumping. Uh, Carolina's playing better. Uh, only one regulation loss in 10. Everyone's rightly talking but, about Edmonton when there's you know, a six in a row. Boston's five and five yeah. in terms of wins and, Edmonton and losses. Edmonton is seven and three, time. even though yeah. they're on a six-game streak. Yeah. I mean, it's... it's yeah. No, Edmonton, right. But Edmonton, right. Edmonton's considered the hot team in hockey, and still there are models. We mentioned one yesterday at The Athletic that give Edmonton the best chance to win the Stanley Cup. But in the Cup last 10 11%. games, the Avs have still been better right. than Edmonton. I... I I understand. And, you know, we have the impression, we've talked about it, that for years, Dallas and the Avs, uh, two teams at uh, each other's throats, um, figuratively speaking, um, that Dallas has given the Avs a tough time. And it's like the Nuggets in Golden State. It's over the Bednar era uh, and all the years, the Avs are 12, 11, and 3 against Dallas. But they've won five of the last seven. And I wouldn't have guessed that. Because every time the Avs go down to Dallas, it seems like they have a tough time. It does. Except they went down there earlier this year, back in November 18th, 
and they're down three nothing just like that. And you're thinking, you know, they had just come off a stretch where they were getting pounded and, you know, losing four to nothing, seven to nothing. You know, and you think it's going to be one of those nights. They score six unanswered goals and win the game 6 3. Now, I'm not suggesting the game tonight will go anything like that. Dallas is always a tough out for the Avs down in Dallas, but 12, 11, and 3 over the last eight years. And if we throw in their uh, seven game playoff series up in Edmonton a few years back during COVID, 15, 15, and 3 the last 33 games between these two teams. And game seven, you'll remember, was an overtime game. Obviously, that doesn't involve points. Right. It's a playoff game seven that Dallas won in overtime back in 2020. So uh, this is one of the better matchups in the league. You got a little bit of a, a style contrast. Uh, although Dallas is a surprisingly good offensive team. And um, they have in Joe Pavelski the ultimate avalanche killer. I mean, over the many years that he's been in the league, with that guy's going to retire, right? Joe Pavelski. Like it doesn't matter who he's playing with. No, he kills the Avalanche, <laughs> and he's still in That's his late thirties. Thirty-nine a years, wonderful old. player. Yeah, a oh, wonderful player. Tremendous. Uh, but uh, the Avs go in with uh, at least three forwards playing about as well as they've ever played in McKinnon. Nishushkin and Rantanen and, you know, get out the popcorn uh, tonight. The Nuggets are the team that will be uh, on national TV tonight, but uh, Avs and Dallas uh, start a little bit earlier, and that'll be uh, one that's uh, always worth uh, watching and, as you suggested, uh, a real battle for first yeah. in this Central Division, only three this, points separating the three teams. It, it feels like tiebreakers might come into effect. And, and Pavelski, as you pointed out, at the age of 39, uh, 34 points second on the <laughs> team. Uh, amazingly, still Amazing. 14 goals Amazing. on the season. And remember, by the way, uh, his first year with the Stars, old friend Matt Duchesne having a nice He's having year, a good year. with uh, yeah. Dallas yeah. as well. Yeah, I've seen in the games I've seen Dallas. I watch points. on ESPN+. Plus. I watch Dallas a lot. And their leader and in Duchesne's, yeah, Duchesne's been very good. If you would have picked a stat very good. Matt Duchesne Shane's leading the stars in. Which one would you have picked? Because he is leading the stars in one. What Goals? would you think? Nope. Plus minus. Plus minus. How about that? Mm. Plus 13. Yeah. Uh, leading the team. And that's a team with a pretty solid defense as well. So uh, uh, Matt Duchesne leading the entire team in plus minus yeah. as uh, well, his age 32 he's season. Bounced around. So far, it looks pretty good. He's one of those guys who's bounced around, he but now. he's not a journeyman player. Right. He's, he's better than that. Well, he's. And he's having a terrific year this year. Yeah. And this and is the best year that Matt Duchesne has had since a lot of its personality let's be honest maybe and that's why uh, it's bounced the around. playoff year with the avalanche which was what 13 14 was first year probably so i mean he did have that 86 point year with uh nashville a couple years back where he was he was really effective the whole season but i mean he's on pace right now to be uh at, at almost that level and certainly uh, maybe not hitting that 86 but a, as good as good that team and good on team a good too. team on a good and team. Uh, yeah so matt duchene so part the of that points well. mean something they do, and, and and the plus minus means something as well. So this is a, a an interesting matchup. Of course, uh, it does seem like Dallas always seems to kind of have the Avs number. Uh, Alexander Georgiev will be in net for the game, as, but, as you expect. As, as, the, the Avs have won five out of the last seven mm -hmm. against Dallas head to head. It sure and I never feel would have like guessed it. that. Doesn't it, feel that it way. Doesn't. 
But I think our standards for the Avalanche are so high that we remember a couple of those games, including the one last year they went down there in the middle of a red-hot streak and lost 7-3 to on a Saturday afternoon. Right. Right. Remember that? That has a lot to do so with it, So we, we think of games like that. It's, boy, Dallas is, is really tough on the Avalanche. Uh, they're evenly matched, yes, but the Avs have more than held their own. Yes, I, I They think haven't so. been dominated by Dallas no. at all. And, and it's worth noting that in the uh, in the last matchup bet- between the two, of course, when you're looking at these two teams and the way that they have uh, consistently played, you know, the, the Avs have played. It's, yeah, it's it's a fascinating matchup. It really is. And, and the goaltending matchup, I think, is interesting. I think uh, watching the Avs get themselves back Georgiev's in shape. Georgiev's got to be better. He's got to be better. Georgiev's, uh, Georgiev has, has got to be better. His save percentage should be well over 900. Yeah. He's below 900 at the present time. You like the He's wins. He looks better of late. 20 wins. First goalie to 20. Yep. Um, he was not good the other night. Um, but I, I'd say lately it's been about three good ones for every bad one. Uh, it might have been the other way around. Uh, earlier yep. on after the quick start through the first six games, he had a bad stretch there. Uh, now he's playing well more often than he's playing badly, but, uh, but they will need a good blunders. one from him tonight. His last five, he's up last against five games. Sure one of the better ones. Yeah. In the yeah. And the last five games, uh, starting, you know, working backwards, uh, four goals allowed, only one, only one, five goals allowed, only one. So it's been all or nothing lately for Georgiev. We'll have to find out what he has. We'll talk about that tomorrow as well as we talked about the, the Nuggets in action tonight against the Warriors. Ryan Blackburn joined us for that earlier. If you missed any part of that interview, you can always go to MileySports.com or if you have the uh, free Miley Sports app, you can access it there as well. Thanks to Danny Bailey for keeping everything running. He's the guy that makes uh, everything work here from the beginning to the end of every single program and a little bit even before and after that. Uh, Danny does an awful lot here to make sure that everything works out well. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks to Ryan Blackburn for joining us. Cody Rourke will join us to break down the Broncos on the Broncos' last football Friday of the year coming up tomorrow. For Sandy Clough, I'm Sean Drotar. Keep it right here on My Life Sports. If there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves.